you have your Bibles with you this morning, would you please turn to Genesis chapter 39. Again, that is Genesis chapter 39. We're continuing in our series called Dreamer, and it's a study through the life of Joseph as we find recorded in the book of Genesis. And the whole idea behind this series is that God has a plan and a purpose for every single person. That there's a dream that he's given you, that there's a destiny that God is calling you to, and that you can find that out through having God speak to you. So spend time with God, and he will speak to you and reveal to you the plans that he has for your life. But before you can walk into the fullness of God's plan for you, you have to go through a series of tests. Now last week we were talking about the pit test, and that's exactly what it sounds like. It's when life is in the pits. And this week, we're going to be talking about the palace test, which already sounds a lot better than last week did. When you think of a palace, it sounds like a pretty nice place. When you think of a pit, there's nothing good that comes to your mind about a pit. But, you know, palaces, you think palm trees. I don't know why, but I assume my palace is in a tropical place where it never snows. And you think of servants that are fanning you with palm branches and they're feeding you grapes and figs. You're living the good life. And that's kind of what the palace test is. Except for in the palace test, it's not your palace. You are the servant who is fanning with the, the palm branches and you are feeding the figs to the master. You're cleaning the bedrooms and the toilets and the floors. And Joseph, as he finds himself in the palace test, once again, it's, it's that mindset of as you're going through it, it's easy to take on the idea of, God, what, what happened? How is it that I found myself in this place? This is a dream that you've given me. This is a destiny that you've called me to. So how is it that I find myself here? How can this even be a part of the process of me getting me to the place where you've called me to do or called me to be? But here's the, the whole thing about the palace test is that the palace test is the test of your ability to steward something that isn't yours. It's the time for you to prove yourself as a faithful servant. And in Genesis 39, it begins the story now. It says, Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. So Joseph is gone from being thrown in a pit by his brothers. He's been then sold into slavery. He's taken to Egypt where he's sold to Potiphar, who's a high-ranking Roman official who serves underneath Pharaoh. And remember, Joseph's destiny, the dream that he's been given, is that he's going to be exalted. When we read the end of the story, we see that he goes to being a second in command over all of Egypt. He's someone that's going to have a palace. He's someone that's going to rule over the man who he is now serving as a slave. He's someone that is going to steward an entire nation. But before he can do that, he first finds himself stewarding someone else's stuff. And this is a hard thing for a lot of us. This is a test where a lot of us get to it and we give up on the dream because we don't see it happening. You think, God, if you've given me this dream, if you've called me to this destiny that's this great, incredible thing, then why is it that I'm having to do all of this junk work first? You call me to, let's say with Joseph, he could say, you call me to rule over this nation, how come I'm a slave serving someone else? This doesn't look like my, I've made a mistake somehow. Maybe God's made a mistake. This can't be according to God's will or his plan for me because this doesn't look anything like the calling that he has on my life. This, is, this was not in the dream that God gave me. And I remember finding myself in this place, and actually the palace test, as you find out in life, you just continue to go through it over and over again in new ways. But the first time I really became aware of the fact that I was in this test was when I was on staff at Radiant Church in Richland. 
I was a worship leader, I think it was about seven years ago that I quit my job and I went down to Kalamazoo to be on, uh, not even staff, I was just a volunteer, but the Lord had moved on my heart and I knew that my season as a worship leader had come to an end, so I wanted to plant a church. That was a new dream that God had put inside of my heart. And Radiant Church in Richland was my favorite church in the whole world, so I thought if I'm going to go plant a church, I want it to be like this one. So I'll move down there, I will volunteer like a beast, I'll do anything they ask me to, and I'm just going to learn everything that I can from them so I can absorb everything and then plant a church like that one someday. After five months of just being there all the time, I had a part-time job, and then I was there for another 20, 30 hours a week just doing whatever they asked me to. And if they didn't have any work for me, I'd sit there and read my Bible because that looks really holy. (laughs) And... After five months, they were finally like, all right, hey, we're just going to throw you on payroll. Why don't you come work for us? And I was like, all right, that worked out pretty well. And they hired me to be Pastor Lee's assistant, who's the lead pastor. He's the head of the Radiant Movement. And so I'm thinking, yes, the Lord has really provided that he has opened up this new door. And Pastor Lee talked to me and he said, Jeremy, I recognize that there's a calling on your life to plant a church and we want to invest in you. We want to make it so that when you go out there and plant a church, it'll be successful. So come work for me, learn from me, and I'll teach you everything that I know on how to plant and to run and pastor a church. And I was like, that is awesome. I cannot wait for that. So my first day on the job, I get there, I have these expectations that I'm going to learn how to preach, and I'm going to learn how to pray like a pastor prays, I'm going to learn the ambiance and the, the pitch things in your voice that you're supposed to do, the hand motions you're supposed to make. I'm going to learn discipleship programs. And I get there, and the first thing that happens is they plop down this massive stack of papers on my desk. And I'm like, what's this? They say, well, these are receipts, and these are credit card statements. What we need you to do is to match up all the receipts with the transactions, and then enter all the transactions into the spreadsheet with a GL number assigned to it so we know what account to attribute it to. I'm like, what, what, what? And it was hundreds of transactions. It was this, I was overwhelmed, and I hate that kind of work. And I'm like, okay, this is a test. They're they're testing me. I'll show that I will do anything, and then they'll let me move on to the spiritual things. So it took me a couple days to do that, which is probably sad. Most people could have done it probably in a couple hours, but it took me a couple of days, but I did a good job on it. And then they said, all right, you got that done? All right, here's what we need you to do now. And I'm thinking, finally, I'm going to counsel someone. And they say, we need you to go to the bookstore and do an inventory of it. (laughs) Really? That's what I need to know to be able to pastor a church? And so I go there and I spend a week by myself inventorying their bookstore, figuring out what we need, what we don't need, new things that we should get. And then after that, they said, all right, good, you're done with that. Now we need you to organize this bookshelf. And this bookshelf stretched across the room. There were over 2,000 books on it. I'm like, what do you mean organize? Well, we need you to organize it. But not in something that makes sense, like the Dewey Decimal System. They said, we want you to take all the books and put them together by subject, but then arrange them by subject in a way so that they line up nicely and it looks good. I'm like, what? And so that took me another week. I had to take every book off the shelf and stack them in subjects, and then I had to go through each of those stacks and arrange them so they look nice together and then put them all back up. And then I just kept being more and more of these kinds of jobs, and I'm thinking, what on earth? Don't they know I'm called? Don't they know I'm supposed to be preaching the gospel? I'm supposed to be seeing people saved, set free, and delivered, and walk in the newness of life, and you guys have me locked away in back rooms doing this administrative busy work? It's like, who do you people think you are, and who do you think I am? I was failing the pride test and the palace test at the same time. And so I'm thinking about quitting. And I'm talking to my wife, and she's like, no, Jeremy, don't do that. That's a bad idea. She's wise. 
And I'm sitting there and I'm like, man, this just isn't my calling. You know, they're underutilizing me. I think that I'm being held back from what God's really called me to do. And so I'm thinking about this, and, and so I said, well, maybe I'll ask God, I'll pray, I'll be the spiritual man about this stuff. And so I'm asking God, I'm like, God, should I quit? Do you have something new? Do you have something better for me than this? And I remember God telling me, he says, if you can't persevere in simple tasks like this, how can you plan a church? And I was like, oh, I'm sorry, Lord, but he kept going. He's <laughs> like, if I can't trust you with unimportant things like organizing a bookshelf, how can I trust you to run a church and to pastor people? And I'm like, okay, God, I got it here. And he's like, no, no, no. If you can't manage books and receipts, how can you manage a church? And I'm like, oh, I'm sorry, God. It's like, that's, that's what it was. If I had quit that job because I thought it wasn't taking me where God was leading me because I thought I was being underutilized, that I wasn't walking into my calling, then I would not be here today having planted Radiant Church in Ann Arbor. I would have failed the palace test. And before you can take care of a church, you have to learn to be able to take care of some simple things like bookcases and receipts. Before Joseph could manage an entire country, he had to learn to manage a household. He had to be able to run a palace. And before you can walk into the fullness of what it is that God has called you to, you have to prove yourself faithful with what it is that he's given you right now. And that's what the palace test is. Can you be faithful? Can you steward the things that God has given you right now? Now, there are two things that you must prove when you're taking the palace test. And the first one is, you can be a good steward of what you are entrusted with. Now, the palace test proves that when God gives you what he wants to give you, that you're not going to just trash it and destroy it, but that you're going to be able to utilize it for his purposes. Now, my son, Eason, loves music. On Thursday nights when the band practices, he's always putting on his little headphones and he goes down there and he listens to the band play and he acts really shy and it's, the band will look at him and he kind of does one of these and then he'll look back up. But when they leave, he always wants to go and start playing on the drums. And I have a lot of guitars, not as many actually, I had to sell locks, I have a family now. But I used to have a lot of guitars, I have a couple nice ones left and he always wants to strum on them, he wants me to get them out for him. And my favorite instrument that I have is my Gibson Les Paul Custom. It's a 1978, the last year they made them in Kalamazoo. I was 16 years old when I bought this thing. I had been saving up money for two summers to buy a car. I bought a car when I was 16. Three days later, I was in a guitar store, found this guitar, strummed it once, took it up to the front desk, put 10% down, and said, I will be back. And they said, all right, you got a week. And so I went home, I put my car up for sale, and three days later, I was back, and I had that guitar. I had no car. I had to get someone to drive me to the store and drive me back, but I had that guitar, and I loved it so much, I named it. Her name is Mary, and that first night I had it, I kept it in its case in my bed with me, and I snuggled it. I love this guitar. It's of my physical possessions that I have. It is the most cherished thing that I have, and you know what? I want my son to use that guitar. I want to give that to him. That's my heart's desire, is to bless him with this guitar. If he wants to be a musician, if he wants to pursue that, then I'm going to do everything that I can to resource him and set him up. But if I gave that to him right now as a two-year-old, that guitar would be destroyed. He's not ready for it. So what we did is, he has this little $20 junk guitar. You can't play it very well. It doesn't stay in tune at all. It's horrible, but he's using this now to learn how to care for an instrument. And he's not very good at it. He uses it as a hammer. 
He uses it as a club. He uses it as a drawing board. He takes his crayons out and he draws on the top of it. And then when he's done, he puts the crayons in the sound hole to store them there. <laughs> if I gave him my guitar right now, even though my heart's desire is to give that to him, I have to wait till he's ready so he doesn't destroy it. And the same thing happens with us and God. The dream that God's given you, the destiny that he's calling you to, he wants to provide you with everything that you need to walk into that destiny. But if he gives it to you too soon when you're not ready, you'll destroy it. Part of the palace test is showing that you can be a good steward of the things that God entrusts you with. And as you do that, then God will trust you with more and more until you walk into the fullness of the destiny that he's called you to. And the second thing that you learn is that you are a steward and not the master. When you're taking care of someone else's stuff for them, you're very aware that it's not your stuff. That you're using someone else's belongings. There wasn't a thing in that palace that belonged to Joseph. All of it belonged to his master. But he was charged with stewarding it. He was charged with using it for his master's purposes. The whole while, keenly aware that this isn't mine. I'm not using this in the way that I want to use this. I'm using this in the way that will please my master and bring him a return. We have to have that same mentality, too, with the destiny and the dream that God's given us. See, as Christians... What is it that we have that belongs to us? Nothing. When we bend our knee to Jesus and we say, you are my king, you are the Lord of lords, everything I have is yours, then we say that I'm a steward now of everything that you have entrusted me with. And I'm going to use everything that I have, not for my purposes, not for my own benefit, not for my own gain, but I'm going to use it to please my master. I'm going to use it to bring a return for him. I'm going to use it according to how he wants it to be used. And as you do that, you begin to walk more fully into your destiny. And this is a really huge part of the palace test. A lot of people never pass it because they never understand that everything that you have is not really yours, but it is God's that's been entrusted to you. But if you changed your mindset on that, it would revolutionize your life. Think about this. If you started looking at your family, not as your family, but something that God has entrusted you with to steward for his purposes and according to his will, how would that change things? How many marriages would be completely turned around if you recognize that your wife or your husband is not just your wife or your husband, but they are the person that God has given you to steward, that God has entrusted them to you and you are to treat them in a way that is pleasing to our master? Think about that with your children. If you recognize that your children, they're not just your kids, these are little people that God has entrusted to you. And you're to raise them according to his will. You're to teach them to love Jesus, to walk in his ways, to serve him. You're supposed to set the model of what godly love and acceptance is. You need to have that kingdom mindset of I'm not just raising kids, I'm investing in God's children. These are his. I've been entrusted with them for a short time but I need to make sure that I'm spending my life shaping them and forming them in the way that God wants me to. For you, us students, what if you recognize that your education isn't yours, but it's something that God's entrusted you with? How many of you had those classes where you think, man, this class is horrible. I'm not going to learn anything from this. This doesn't apply to my major or what I'm going to do. I can just blow this off. Well, that opportunity to take that class is something God's given you. And you're a steward. And it says that we're to do all things as unto God. And when you study and when you work hard at that class that you hate, when you honor that professor that's a jerk, you bring glory to Jesus. 
If you looked at your career and said, this isn't my career, but God's provided a career for me, and now I'm going to use this to the best of my ability to make Jesus famous and to use everything he's given me here and all the influence and the platform that he's given me to reach other people. What if you looked at your money, and this is the hard one, and said that everything that I have, all of my money belongs to God. We have this idea that the radical, crazy Christians are the ones that tithe 10%, and then they get to use the other 90% for whatever they want to, and that's like, wow, you are a spiritual giant if you do that. But the truth is that the 100% is the Lord's. What he does is he says, as my steward, I want you to take that first 10%, and I want you to give it to the church so that we can continue to see my kingdom and a place for my people to gather. But that doesn't mean that the other 90% isn't his as well. He has a way that he wants you to use all of the money that he's given you. He has a plan for that, and we need to steward all of our resources. Your time. Your time isn't your own. Every day that you have, every breath that you take in is a gift from God, and he's given it to you to use for his purposes, for his glory, and for his gain. Your possessions, your cars, your TVs, your sofas, all those things, you think, well, what does God want me to do with that? Well, there are things that you can do with your possessions that will bring glory to God, that will please your master, and will be according to his purposes. Everything we have is something that God has given to us so that we can steward for his purposes and for his plans. And we will all be called to give account for how we have used the things that he's given us. And when you have proven that you are a good steward of the little that he's entrusted you with, then God will bring you more. He will bring promotion to you. He will bring you more fully into his plans and purposes for your life. And uh, this is one of the things, as we look at Joseph, he's someone that went through this, and we'll continue reading about that now that I've almost used up all of my time. Genesis 39, verses 2 through 6 says, The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. And when his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and everything, be- um, and he became the attendant over it all. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he trusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in his house and in the field. So he left it in Joseph's care, everything he had, with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. So Joseph is just dominating this test. He's been made the steward over everything that Potiphar has because he's proved himself faithful and capable. And now it says that the Lord has made everything Joseph does to prosper. It says that Joseph himself prospered. It says that Potiphar prospered. It says that the household prospered. And it says that even the things in the field prospered. Joseph does such a good job of stewarding what he's been entrusted with that the master doesn't even know what he has anymore. He doesn't put any thought into his household possessions. The only thing he's thinking about is what he's going to eat. Joseph is one heck of a steward. And this idea that God made everything prosper is something that for some people you look at and you're like, yeah, prosperity. And other people hear prosperity and they cringe because you think of people with blue hair on TV telling you to send in $50 and you'll get a triple blessing. Uh, The idea of prosperity is something that has really been changed a lot in the last few decades. Um, It's really been merged with the American dream. 
There are people that say that, the, according to the gospel, that Jesus wants you to have a house that's X big. You're supposed to drive this kind of a car. He wants you to wear these kind of clothes. You're supposed to have these many numbers in your bank account. And that's the symbol or that's the, the explanation for God's blessing upon you. But that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're looking to God to be the one who just brings material blessing upon you so you can feed your own materialistic desires, then you're not following the gospel of Jesus. You've been believing the gospel of the American dream. And it's really important that we make sure that we aren't merging our culture with the kingdom of heaven. Now, do I believe that God does bless people? Absolutely. Do I believe that God does give people great wealth? Yeah, I do. But is that a part of God's plan for every single person? No, I don't think so, because we'd have to look at the, the Apostle Paul, and it says that as he's going around doing what God's called him to do very prosperously, it says that he knows what it's like to be naked, hungry, and cold. He knows what it's like to be thrown into prison and beaten. That doesn't mean that he wasn't prosperous. It just means that we need to get back to what the Bible says prosperity is. And this is what it says. The Hebrew word for prosper is to push forward. It means literally God is pushing you forward in what it is that you're doing. He's making you successful. In Greek, when they use the word prosper, which we see a lot in the New Testament, it means to come alongside on the road. It means that you're traveling this path, you're going on this journey, and God himself comes alongside of you on that, and he becomes your help. He becomes your support. So when it says that God wants you to prosper, and that God made him prosperous, what it means is that God came upon him, God was with him, so that God pushed him into success. That it wasn't Joseph operating based on his own limited abilities and his own understanding, but literally God came upon him and pushed him forward so that he was successful in everything that God had called him to do. And his boss even begins to notice this. He works for a pagan man. Someone that's worshiping the sun and all other sorts of false gods. But even this unbelieving boss of his begins to recognize the blessing of God on him. And he recognizes, I'm even being blessed because the living God is causing my servant to prosper. What kind of ministry do you want to have in your life? Do you want it to be limited based on what you can do? Or do you want to have a prosperous ministry where God is pushing you forward into whatever it is that he's called you to do. That's what I want. I want to prosper in my marriage. I want to prosper in my ministry. I want to prosper with my children. I want to prosper in my uh, evangelism. I want to prosper in my finances too. I want God to be the one who's pushing me forward and enabling me to do everything that I've been called to do. And the keys to prosperous stewardship are number one, the key to prospering is the presence of God. It says the Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And every time that it says in the Bible the Lord was with someone, it means that literally God's supernatural power, his favor and his blessing was on them so that he could, they could become leaders, so that they become uh, people who had understanding, people who had incredible giftings, whatever it was that they needed that God had called them to. When it says that God was with them, that his presence was on them, that's what pushed them forward, enabled them to do the ministry they've been called to. And you're thinking, well, you know, that's great for people like Moses or for Peter when we look at them. I love how Peter it says that, you know, he starts out life and he's a revolutionary. He's trying to bring the kingdom of God to Israel through revolution, armed revolution against Rome. He's horribly unsuccessful. But then after he has an encounter with Jesus and it says that the power of, or the presence of God was with him, then he's going around and he preaches one sermon and 3,000 people make decisions to follow Jesus. 
He's going around and he's healing people. He's casting out demons. He's preaching. He's teaching all over the place. I love it. The power and the presence of God was on him so greatly that as he's just walking by sick people, his shadow falls on them and they're instantly healed. That's prosperous ministry. That's the kind of ministry that we've been called to. God says, whatever it is I've called you to, I want you to prosper in it. And the key to prospering in it is having my presence with you. You say, well, I'm not called to be an apostle like Peter. Well, maybe you're called to be someone, let's say that you're an artist or you're a builder. God can prosper you in that as well. And there's a calling on your life for that. Bezalel was one of the people that was in charge of building the temple. And as he's building the temple, it says that God was with him to give him understanding of the arts and to give him great skill and ability in what he did. The calling that God had on him, his dream and his destiny was to be an artist, to be a craftsman. And God came on him and enabled him to prosper in that way beyond what his own natural abilities were. And it was all because of the presence of God on him. Or maybe you're a parent. Say you're a stay-at-home mom or dad. And you say, well, how is God going to make me prosper in this? Look at Zechariah, the father of John the Baptist. It says that God was with him. And because of that, he knew how to pastor his child's heart. He was able to know the destiny that this child had been called to and he's able to lead him and direct him so that he could walk out the fulfillment of God's calling upon his son. Whatever it is that you've been called, whatever the dream is for you, whatever the destiny is that God's called you to, he will come upon you and he will prosper you if you have his presence. You say, well, how do we get his presence? The key to the presence of God is obedience. We look at Jehoshaphat. And it says, Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he walked in the former ways of his father David. The key to obedience is to, I'm sorry, the key to God's presence on you is to be obedient to him. You want God's blessing and favor on your life? Be obedient. That doesn't mean that he loves you more. It doesn't mean that you're saved or you're unsaved because you're obedient or not. Our salvation is through faith alone. But you have kids, and it doesn't matter how good or how bad your kids are, you're going to love them the same. But when your kids are obedient, there's a lot more blessing and favor for them. I'm potty training one of my kids. You know what they get when they go potty? They get three M&Ms. That's blessing. That's favor. That's what they get for their obedience. If they don't, there are no M&Ms. Doesn't mean I don't love them, but there's blessing that comes for you being obedient to what God's called you to. A lot of the people that I counsel, when they come and they say, I feel far from God, from his presence, it's like, all right, well, what's going on in your life? And they end up saying that there's a sin issue that they're dealing with that they haven't been obedient in. It's like, well, here's the problem. Let's repent. Let's get back to being obedient to what God's called you to do. And it's miraculous. Every time when you repent of your sin, you become obedient to what God's called you to do, you encounter his presence in your life again. You say, all right, well, I want to be obedient, but I'm having trouble being obedient. Well, the key to obedience is faith. If you believe something, you will do it. If you don't believe something, you won't do it. Showering is a great example of this. If you believe in showering, you will shower. You can't come up to me and say, I believe in showering, I just don't do it. No, you don't believe in showering. Adam and Eve, when they sinned, they didn't go up to the the fruit on the forbidden tree and say, I'm going to die real quick when I take a bite of this. No, they didn't believe that there was going to be any consequence for it. If they had believed that there would be a consequence for their sin, they never would have done it. And if they would believed that there was a reward for their obedience, then they never would have done it. You see, there is a reward for your obedience to God, and it's his presence. God himself is our reward for obedience. 
But what you believe will determine whether you're going to be obedient or not. You say, okay, well, then how is it that I believe? How is it that I have faith then? And that's the last one, and that's the key to faith is hearing the word. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing the word of God. If you want to have faith, if you want to change what you believe, then you need to allow God to speak to you. In Romans, it also says that we're not to conform to the patterns of this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. When you hear God speak to you, it begins to change the way that you think about things. And when you change the way that you think, when you change the way that you believe, it will change the actions that you have. And when you become obedient, then you encounter the presence of God. And when you have the presence of God in your life, then you are successful or you are prosperous in everything that God's called you to. But the key to this comes down to, are you hearing God speak to you? Because if you're just trying to live a life where you're trying to do good things and you're trying to be obedient and it's just your own workings, then you're going to fail. If you're struggling with getting your thoughts to line up with what it is that we read in Scripture, then you need to hear God speak to you. How was it that any of us made that decision in the first place that we were going to follow Jesus? We heard God speak to us. When it says the Word of God, it can mean the Bible, but it also means Jesus. He is the Word of God. And when we read our Bibles and read Scripture, we're reading God's words to us. We believed, we put our faith in Jesus in the first place, not because of some tract that someone left us instead of a tip at a restaurant, not because of some clever protest sign. We put our faith in Jesus because we heard the word of God speak to our hearts. And when that happens, everything changes. And you had faith because you heard God speak to you. this morning, if you've been struggling in this palace test, if you've been looking at your life and you're saying that I'm being underutilized, that where I am right now isn't a part of God's calling for my life, I'm being held back, if you're having trouble with being a good steward of what God's given you, it comes back to you need to hear God speak to you once again. Because you might not like where you are right now, I'm sure Joseph didn't enjoy being a slave in Egypt for Potiphar. But he heard from God. Just like I heard from God when I wanted to quit my job at Radiant Church. And I didn't understand it all, but I knew that I was where I was supposed to be and that I needed to get to work of being a good steward of what it was that God had entrusted me with and that as I did that, that God would bring increase and he would lead me into the fullness of his calling for me. It all comes back to you. You need to hear from God this morning. You guys stand with me as we close. Let's pray together. I really feel strongly like there's some refreshing again that needs to continue, that you've been struggling as a steward you've been looking at it is that you're stuck, that you're not moving forward, that where you are isn't where you're supposed to be. 
But for some of you, you're exactly where you need to be and God's speaking that to you now. But what you need now is refreshing that comes from him and from his presence in your life so that you can get back to the work of being a good steward and continue on now to advance into the fullness of what God has called you to. But it begins with you calling on God and saying, God, speak to me. And for some of you, maybe as we were worshiping or maybe as I've been teaching, God's been speaking to your heart. You've heard him speak to you again or maybe for the first time. And he's calling to you. And you know that where you are right now isn't the place you're supposed to be with God. But he's calling to you. He says, you're my son. You're my daughter. If he's speaking that to you, then what he's doing is he's building faith so that you can believe. And it says that if you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord and you confess that with your mouth, that you will be saved. That's the starting point for this journey with Jesus. And right now, if it's your first time that you've heard God speak that to you or maybe you've drifted away, but you want to come back to him, right now every eye is closed and nobody's looking around, but I think there's something that's important with us responding to God and what he's speaking in our life. If that's you and you want to be right with Jesus, you want to surrender your life to him and receive forgiveness of your sins, would you be so bold as to raise your hand with me so that I can pray with you and I can see that you're saying, yes, Jesus, me. I want you. I want your forgiveness. I want your presence inside of my life. I want your leading and your directing over me. Thank you. Thank you. And let's pray this together, church. Father, we love you. Jesus, thank you. I pray that you would forgive me of my sins. That you would fill me with your Holy Spirit that you would be the Lord of my life. I surrender everything to you. Would you lead me into your ways? Would your presence be with me? And would you cause me to prosper in everything I do? In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.